Thank you for listening to the Alliance Church Podcast. We desire to connect you with God and one another, whether here in Wisconsin or around the world. Let's listen into this week's message. Good morning. I'm hoping you can help me explain a, a theological concept this morning using Thanksgiving, all right? So just go with me, a little audience participation. I'm not going to make you gobble like a turkey or something like that, okay? The worst you have to do is just raise your hand for a second. But if for Thanksgiving sometime this year here, you either cooked a whole turkey, whether it was on the grill or in your oven or in a deep fryer or whatever you did, or you went somewhere and ate a turkey that was sort of cooked whole, right? Did the whole big Thanksgiving spread. Could you just raise your hand for a minute? Just put it up good and high. Everybody who's done that, just keep it up for a second. All right, let's look around. It's probably half of us-ish, maybe three-fourths. Okay, you put your hands back down, right? Okay. Now, if you cooked a whole turkey some other day besides Thanksgiving this year, okay, could you just raise your hand? Okay. Thank you. It sort of illustrates my point, right? I, I don't know why we've taken this totally good bird turkey. I mean, love turkey, right? And we can't wait for Thanksgiving. We're like, yeah, this is great. But we only set it aside for one day a year primarily, right? One special time. And then we call it Thanksgiving. And then we get mashed potatoes and cranberries and all the other kinds of stuff around it, right? We have just illustrated a theological concept called sanctification, all right? And so look at what scripture says about this. To sanctify means to keep oneself apart or separate, to be holy, to separate from profane things and dedicate to God. So this idea of sanctification is setting apart and God takes an ordinary thing, just like we've taken an ordinary common bird that's everywhere in America now, and we've set it apart for one special day. God takes us, no offense, who are ordinary and not that special, and he sets us apart for his purposes. So I wanna look at this process of sanctification today. I'm gonna to give you a couple examples right now in scripture where you'll see this. You'll see in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, for example, here's what scripture says. Sanctify yourselves therefore and be ye holy for I am the Lord your God and you shall keep my statutes and do them and I am the Lord which sanctify you, right? And so sanctification is a, God says, we should be sanctified and be holy. And yet he's the one who does the work in us as well. And then in the New Testament in 1 Thessalonians, uh, Paul wrote, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, set you apart completely, make you holy completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm gonna give you the theological breakdown of sanctification here. It, it, it happens in two different ways, all right? There's positional sanctification, and that means our status changes instantly the moment we believe in Christ. And we're gonna look at that in a second. So if you wanna sound all theologiany today, you can just write down positional sanctification, right? And then the second part we're gonna look at is progressive sanctification. It's ongoing work that happens too. And honestly, the reason I'm bringing this message this morning is because I draw this diagram in my office all week long, over and over and over again, and people don't understand it. And so I'm like, we need to grasp this basic truth. So I really wish I had a whiteboard and I could draw and just be myself. I had to put it on slides and this is what you get, okay? So, all right. 
Positional sanctification, let's start with that first or think about my status or my position with Christ, right? Before I came to faith in Christ, the Bible says things like this about us. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We we're actually enemies of God. Even though you may not have been like, I hate you kind of enemy, even just passively indifferent puts you in the enemy category. And we were in darkness, even though, yay, the sun shined and all those things, spiritually we're dead and we're dark apart from Christ. The moment we put our faith and trust in Jesus, that all changes. We move over to the other side of the cross now, right? And now scripture says, I was once dead, but I'm made alive in Christ. I was an enemy of God, but now I'm friends with God. In fact, Jesus is, is my brother, right? He's not ashamed of me, scripture says, that I was walking in darkness, but now I'm in light and I myself have become light. Let me say this, by the way, in case you're going, wow, that's a lot of stuff and I couldn't get those notes down that fast and all those things, I'm gonna give you access to my notes at the end of this. There's a QR code that'll be up and you can just get straight access to these as a PDF or my email address. You can just email me and say, send me the notes and I'll send you the notes, right? Okay. So my status, my position with God changes the minute I believe. When I say yes to Jesus, ask him to be my Lord and Savior, I get all the benefits of being one of God's children now. That happens instantly, all right? How does this work? Well, before all of this, Next slide for me, please. My account with God was filled with sin. Don't get me wrong, there's good things in there too right? God's fair about stuff. Before Jesus, if God was going to judge my life, he'd say, hey, you did this. That was great. You did this. That was great. Hey, way to go on that one over there. Good job. Now here's your sin. And the payment for sin, the Bible says is death, right? It's not good works. It's not going to church. You and I don't get to choose what the payment for sin is. Some people think you do. You don't get to choose that. It'd be like me going into Walmart and throwing up all my groceries on there. You know how it is nowadays, right? Two bags, it's $120, right? And I say to Walmart, I'm not gonna pay you with money today. I'm gonna pay you with some shells and I got some beaver pelts here. Like, they're gonna be like, no, that doesn't work. I don't get to choose what the payment is. God said the payment for sin is death, which is separation from him forever. In a place Jesus described as outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, right? Now, the good news is Jesus dies on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And if I apply his death to my account by faith, I say, Jesus, I believe you died for me and that's the only way I can get to heaven. Then what happens? The next slide shows us. Our sins are removed from us. Psalm 103, 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sin from us. When we apply Jesus' death to our account, all our sins are paid for. In fact, on the cross, just before Jesus died, in the Greek, it's the word to die. It literally means the debt has been paid or paid in full. When I put my faith and trust in Jesus, he marks my account paid in full. But wait, there's more, all right? Here's what happens next, okay? Scripture says, God made him who had no sin, talking about Jesus, right? To be sin for us. On the cross, all of our sins now are put onto Jesus. And then God takes his righteous, holy uh, judgment for our sin out on his son, right? 
God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. This is what a lot of people don't catch, right? The sin gone thing they get, that puts my count at neutral, if you will, right? But when I by faith say yes to Jesus and apply his death to my account, I get credited with the righteousness of Christ. Christ's perfect life enters into my account now. And so right now, when God sees me and he pulls that account out, it says, oh, perfect in Christ. And that makes me acceptable to him. It's not anything I do, because if it was dependent on me, I would fail every single time, right? So positional sanctification says this, the moment I believe my status with God changes, I get adopted into his family. I get all the joy and splendor of being with him in that relationship with him as well. Not just sins removed, God walks with me today and I am now perfect in God's eyes. Not because of anything I've done. And what does this cost me? Absolutely nothing. Isn't that amazing? It's hard to believe sometimes because where else do we see anything like this on earth? Nowhere. So our status, our position changes instantly. Okay, so then here I am walking with the Holy Spirit after I say yes to Jesus, right? Yay, and we're happy and the Spirit now lives inside of me. Now God's plan for me is for progressive sanctification. It's an ongoing work in me that the Holy Spirit is doing with the ultimate goal you can see at the end to conform me to the image of Jesus. Just because my account says perfect, I'm not perfect. I still have issues and problems. Isn't there a song about I have issues? Okay, never mind. Talking, I'm not gonna talk pop culture today. Okay. So I'm conformed. That's God's plan. Me and the Holy Spirit being looking like Jesus, right? Okay. Let's look at this from the Bible. This is what scripture says. To God's elect... Exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit, one of the jobs he does is he works on setting me apart more and more from the normal, profane, ordinary life I lived to now looking like Jesus. In the book of Acts, it says that the term Christians was first used in one of the cities in, in sort of around the Mediterranean there. And they started calling people who followed Christ Christians, which means little Christ. That's what God wants me to look like, like this little Christ. And the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of me. And he's the one who changes me from the inside out. I don't have power to change myself. I'm just curious, show of hands, if you've ever tried to change something about yourself and you've failed at it, just raise your hand for a second. Yay, look around, right? Like that's most of us. We can't do it apart from God and his power, right? So, sounds great. Me and the Holy Spirit walking together. He's changing me, right? Well, there's a problem. And here comes the problem, our next little chart, right? Not only is the Holy Spirit in us, but the sinful nature is in us as well. This is a part of us that's been flawed from birth. We don't sin and then become sinful. We have sinful nature from 
birth and that works its way out, Paul says, through the members of our body causing us to sin, whether it's through my eyes or through my mouth or through my hands, that sinful nature inside of me that's rotten at the core, that's my ultimate problem, right? Now, here's what scripture says about this. The Holy Spirit and the sinful nature wage war against each other, right? There's a battle that's going on there for control, all right? Next slide for me, please. And so here's what it looks like. I'm walking through life, the Holy Spirit's controlling me, I'm doing godly things, and then all of a sudden, oh, sin opportunity. And sometimes I'm like, no, thank you, I don't want that. And sometimes I'm like, sure, we can hang out for a little while, right? And I'm doing something sinful, And by the way, the little black dots on there, that's sort of sin, right? So all of us, as we walk through life, we still sin after putting our faith in Christ to pay for those. I'm just curious, let's be honest. Who's all sinned this morning, right? I mean, some of us maybe didn't even get out of bed and we've already been sinning. The drive on the way to church, (laughs) ever do one of those? And then we walk in the door and we're like, hi, oh, praise the Lord, great day. (laughs) So none of us is going to be perfect this side of heaven. That sinful nature is always there. The reality is you and I don't ever have to give in to it. We have more than enough power from the Holy Spirit to never sin again. What's the problem? What's the problem? Look in the mirror. (laughs) We're the problem, right? Sin easily entangles us, the Bible says. I think about this like weeds in my garden. I mean, think about this. If I till up some land and stuff and get all ready for a garden and I plant my seeds in there, well, sure, my seeds pop up, but what else pops up? Weeds. I don't plant weed seeds. They just show up. And then I spent a lot of time trying to kill them, plucking and pulling and hacking and beating and burning and biting and all that kind of stuff. And some still come back. I'm like, what the heck? I've tried to kill you seven different ways. Some of our sins, when we come to faith in Christ, are like those little weeds that just get plucked and you never see them again. I don't know about you, but some of mine just run deeper. And it seems like I'm trying to hack and get away and and those things, right? And so we still sin, none of us perfect this side of heaven. Okay, so here's pictorially what we're talking about, right? Next slide, please. Thank you. Okay, when I choose to sin, I was walking with the Holy Spirit going God's way. And now it's like I do this about face and I turn away from God and I turn towards that sinful nature and I start walking with it. At this point, some people think, oh, it's all over, I blew it. Now God's mad at me, I sinned, and now it's all over, and oh, well, I thought I was a Christian, but apparently I'm not. Some people even walk away from Christ at this point, especially depending on how serious the sin is. Well, Scripture gives us what we need to deal with this. You ready? How do we deal with sin when we sin? 
Scripture says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And John wrote this letter to the church, to believers. This wasn't to non-believers. This is people who put their faith in Christ, sold out for him, but still sin. And John says when we do that, the, the, the antidote for that, if you will, or the, the, the healing for that is through confession. Confession in Greek, the language in Jesus' day roughly, right? That word confess literally means to agree with. Or if you wanna get really literal, it means to speak the same thing. When I sin, confession is, I agree with God, what I just did was wrong. Now, what do a lot of us do when we sin? Justify, minimize, blame it on others. Well, here's why it's okay for me in this particular case, things like that, right? And confession just says, just admit it. God already knows it can't hide anything from him, but that's exactly what we try to do. If we don't confess sin, then we're just hiding it. I look at it this way. Let's say you're a kiddo and you were told, hey, don't play catch in the house. We just bought this beautiful lamp, maybe it's a Tiffany lamp or something like that, right? And your parents don't want it broke. And so you and your siblings, or if you're an only child, sorry, but you're playing catch against the wall, whatever, right? And you break the lamp gasp. And now dad comes home from work and he's like, who broke the lamp? And, oh no, <laughs> it wasn't me. If you're an only child, that's a little problematic, but. <laughs> now there's something between you and your dad. Do you want to hang out with him at that point? Hey, let's go get ice cream, dad. Let's talk feelings. No, you want to be as far away from him as you can. Gotta go, bye, I'm going to Jimmy's house or whatever. Because there's that something between us. And now the tension builds and builds and builds. And finally you're like, I broke the lamp. And your dad's like, yeah, I know, right? Ring camera and all that good stuff or whatever. And <laughs> saw you on there, HD video kid, like, right? And you're like, why didn't you say something? Well, I was waiting for you to say something. When we confess, the air is cleared up, right? Now we're free to have relationship again, even though there may be consequences for that sin still. Dad might say, thanks for telling me, I appreciate that. You're grounded. Okay, fair enough, see you later. But now we can hang out, right? Confession is for us to clear the air because I don't know, do human beings try to hide when we sin? I mean, isn't that what Adam and Eve did? From day one, that's been our strategy and we're no different. So God says, tell me about it. I already know it. And you don't have to wait for 20 minutes before you confess or 20 weeks or 20 months. You used to do that, right? Well, now I need to feel bad about this. I need to beat myself up with it. Maybe after two or three weeks, I'll confess it. No, now when I sin, I just confess it right away. Yep, that was just wrong. Totally wrong, God. What happens then next is we have the opportunity to repent, right? If sin is me going the wrong way and leaving the path, I confess it. Now the Bible says repent. That's a military term that means to do an about face. In other words, I was walking away from God and I'm walking towards sin and God says, just do an about face, walk away from that and just start walking back towards me. 
It's just that simple. And he's not there like, ah, I told you so, or ready to just beat you up and stuff. What does John say? If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. Honestly, and I'm not ready to die on this hill theologically, but if you go strictly with what John said there, I don't even need to ask for forgiveness. John said, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. Technically, I don't even have to say forgive me. He already does. Now, here's the interesting thing, right? If we go to the next slide, okay? If those are all my sins that I'm gonna commit throughout the rest of my life, right? Why am I gonna still keep sinning? I mean, hopefully it's less and less the more I look like Jesus. All those sins have already been paid for. They've already been paid for. Look at what scripture says about this, okay? You might have to jump ahead a couple. One back, I'm sorry. There it is. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. One sacrifice, Jesus died once for all. Now go to the Hebrews passage, please, right? This is a little longer, I get it, but just follow along, right? The author of Hebrews says this, for Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. Pause, interesting side note. Back in the Israelites' day, when they made that first portable worship sanctuary, the tabernacle, right? And God gave Moses exact dimensions, instructions on how to build that whole thing. What the author of Hebrews is saying was that's just a copy of what was in heaven. Interesting, right? And this is why Jesus didn't offer his blood in the human temple here on earth, but he went to heaven and made his sacrifice there. This is what the author of the Hebrews says. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Every year, once a year, day of atonement, the high priest would take blood. He'd have to enter into the holy of holies where the ark of the covenant was, only he could go in there and he had to offer blood for a sacrifice for the people, but it only made people ceremonially clean, the author of Hebrews says. He says, if, if offering bull's blood or, or, or ram's blood could change our hearts, then why would we need Jesus? You and I would still just be tortured animals in a temple and God would be like, that's cool, right? Jesus goes into the heavenly place and he doesn't have to go year after year. He says, otherwise Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he's appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away sin. So go back to my slide. Here's how I see this. Let's just say all those sins, right, are your car payment or your mortgage payment or your rent payment or something like that, right? If I decide today to pay all your mortgages off, wouldn't that be great? You'd love me forever. It's not gonna happen, right? <laughs> and then two years from now, the mortgage company comes to you and says, hey, we need a payment. What are you gonna say? No, it's been paid in full. The debt's already been paid. I don't owe you anything. 
When you and I sin, even now today, that's already been paid. Jesus paid for it once at the cross. Otherwise, if he didn't, he'd have to come back every day to die again for that new day's worth of sins, right? Once for all. It's amazing. All right. Okay, so here's the plan, right? We, if we, when we sin, we confess that sin and we repent and we just get right back on that path, all the while asking the Holy Spirit to continue to change us. Now, here's the thing. We don't, no, let me back up. We're an active participant in this though. We just don't passively sit by and say, great, Holy Spirit, change me and I'll just be over here. In drug recovery, we used to call it, you have to do the footwork, right? My higher power in recovery is gonna change me, but I have to do the footwork. What does that mean? I still have to get up and go to a meeting or call my sponsor if I'm struggling or go hang out with some other people instead of going and doing drugs, that sort of stuff. It's the same for us. The tools that the Holy Spirit uses to shape us and form us are things like prayer and Bible study and going to church and worshiping and fasting and all the other spiritual disciplines. Those are tools that God uses so that we can draw closer to Him and become like Him. They're not rules that we have to follow in order to earn his favor. All right. Now, look at how Paul summarizes this. This whole conversation that we've just had this morning, here's what Paul says. I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or doing good works, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. The apostle Paul says, I'm not perfect yet. He still sins. He's just walking 100% great with Christ. But he says, look, here's what I do. I forget that. I confess it and I just move on and I continue going with God. There is such joy and freedom when it's not based on me. Performance-based love is the worst. And that's not how God treats us. Because if he did, who could stand? Nobody. God's made it so simple for us. All right, let's apply this in a minute and 49 seconds. Ready? Number one, have you gone back to works? Here's what I mean. Galatians chapter three, Paul says to the Galatians, oh foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish having begun by the spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Next slide. This is all he's saying. You started walking with Jesus. It was by faith and the Holy Spirit came and lived in you and he got you started. And now you're going back to good works. In their case, it was circumcision, right? They were following the Old Testament law. And Paul's like, that's ridiculous. And yet that's what we wanna do. 
Oh, I read my Bible, I go to church, I do these things. Just give me the checklist of what I have to do in order to earn God's favor. That's not how it works, right? Don't go back to works. You and I will never, ever be able to do it by works. Number two, is holiness your concern? Let me show you what I'm talking about, all right? When we're walking through life with Christ, there's boundaries and I'm just gonna call it holiness. Remember the scriptures that we already read, be holy because I'm holy, says the Lord, right? It's not just free for all after you come to Christ and whatever, sins are paid for. God expects holiness in our lives. That's being conformed to the image of Christ. And I just gotta be honest with you, I'm concerned about us, the church. I've heard more swearing out of Christians in the last few years than I did in 20 plus years of ministry. I see more and more people living together and sleeping together before getting married as believers in Christ. I'm baffled by some of the TV viewing that happens now and Christians telling me, oh, I watch this show and that show. I know there's things like nudity in there. I'm like, why is that okay? And suddenly holiness is just not a thing. God calls us to holiness and none of us is perfect. I get that, but some of us are just letting everything in. You okay out there? Okay. Look at what scripture says. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance before Christ, right? But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy. All right, gotta move on. I'm at negative 53. All right, this isn't going great. Number three, are you being too hard on yourself? Let me show you this from scripture. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers we're but dust. It's hard sometimes when we compare ourselves to God's holiness and we see just how lacking we really are to wanna beat ourselves up and feel bad about it. But God remembers we're but dust. He literally took some dust and shaped it. Isn't that kind of like pottery, right? And breathed some life into it. And we try to clean that pottery up and make it look good and we glaze it and we fire it and the kiln and all that sort of stuff. But if I take a clay pot even from here and drop it, what happens? It just breaks. We're just dust. And God knows how fragile we are and how easy we fall into sin. And he doesn't hold it against us. Don't beat yourself up because you're not perfect. Some of you are too hard on yourself and are too overactive of a conscience. There's grace and mercy. Number four, are you being too easy on yourself? <laughs> Some of you are like, whatever, I can do whatever I want. Here's how Paul put it in the scripture. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We're dead to sin. And some of us need to be way more serious about dying to sin. And then number five, do you have an identity problem? This is a whole nother sermon, but let me just show you the scripture real quick. Paul says, I do not understand what I do for what I wanna do, I don't do, but what I hate, that's what I do. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, that's what I keep doing. Ever felt that way, right? Now catch what he says here. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me. 
The first time I read that, I'm like, well, that's handy. Oh, sin in me, see you later. Not me, sin. But now I get what he says, right? The bottom line of my heart is I wanna follow and love and serve God. And that sinful nature is not coming with me to heaven. So that can't be who I am. But too many people identify themselves with their sinful nature. And they think that's them. And then they just beat themselves up over it. Or they decide to just lean into it and say, oh, well, that's how God made me. No, sinful nature. Don't identify with that. Treat it like Paul did. He said, it's in me, but that's not me. I wanna follow God, right? All right, as promised, QR code, we'll leave that up for a minute. If you want slides and you wanna look at this deeper, I'd encourage you. If, if, if this is not the foundation of where you're living with Christ, it needs to be. Otherwise, Satan's coming at us and accusing us and condemning us and it just doesn't go well, right? Let's pray. And the worship team's gonna come up as we do this. Lord, I do ask that you'd help us to allow you now to sanctify us through and through. And we need to have a right understanding of what your goal is. And that's to be conformed into the image of Jesus. You want us to be holy and work towards perfection, just like your son is perfect. But at the same time, Lord, we know that's not gonna happen this side of heaven. And so help us to have that right balance of grace and truth Help us to be working to allow you to make us more and more like Jesus, to confess that sin when we fail and then to get right back on the path with you. I pray against guilt and condemnation and, and accusations from the enemy as he wants to just beat us over the heads with our imperfectness. The goal of sanctification, Lord, is not perfection. It's progress here on earth. You're the one who brings us into perfectness. And scripture says, he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. It's not completed until we see you face to face and that sinful nature cut out of us forever. What a glorious day that's gonna be, Lord. Until then, help us to keep our eyes on you. It's not about us. I'd ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.